Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we study from Psalm 6. O Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am languishing. Hear me, heal me, O Yahweh, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Yahweh, how long? Turn, O Yahweh, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you in Sheol, who will give you praise. I am weary with my groaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of my grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for Yahweh has heard the sound of my weeping. Yahweh has heard my plea. Yahweh accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this psalm begins with the words to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Shemanith a psalm of David. Now that Shemanith or Shemanith word in Hebrew uh, it references the number eight. What it actually means in the context of the psalm is harder to say. Uh, it could be a, a note of a musical setting. It could be a reference to an eight-stringed instrument that the choir master would make use of for the sake of playing this. We don't know per se, but the, that eighth word is involved in that. Now, with the psalm itself, this is classified as one of seven penitential psalms. That word penitence is from the Latin word for repentance. So this is repenting. This is David uh, putting his, his trouble before the Lord, asking for the Lord's healing. Another way we might phrase it is confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness. We don't really see that straightforwardly here. David isn't saying, I did X, Y, and Z wrong, but you can see it. As you go through that first paragraph, verses 1 through 3, look at the word pairs. Rebuke and anger. Discipline and wrath. Those are going together, so don't rebuke me in your anger. There's confession there that it's deserved, right? Don't discipline me in your wrath. We deserve it because of our sin. Instead, he prays for mercy. Verse 2, be gracious. Show me your favor because I'm languishing. Heal me. My body is broken. My bones are troubled. How long, O Lord? Now you've got the souls uh, of the martyrs in Revelation that cry out, How long, O Lord? Very similarly to David here. They are waiting for the second coming. Arguably here, David is looking forward to the first coming because of what he says in the very next paragraph. But we're going to come back to that. Um, 
he's looking for forgiveness and they, that's already hinting at where where does forgiveness come from that's a question um, that we can easily answer it comes from Jesus Christ but this is going to be uh, the kinds of questions you're asking to your kids from this how does God give us his grace you can start a step further uh, step backwards from that does God give us his grace and if he does how does he do it and so does he give us his grace yes he does how does he do it well verse 4 and 5 are going to cover that well, I guess really verse 4 um, we're going to talk about the forgiveness that comes in the blood of Jesus Christ as he died on the cross to take away our sins and how that grace how that gift of forgiveness is then applied to us is through his word and through his sacraments so we hear that proclaimed word that our sins are forgiven we hear the promise of the gospel and we also receive that forgiveness through baptism through absolution through the lord's supper so see if your kids can pick up on those things word and sacrament such a central part of who we are as the people of god because it's how god sustains us it's how he encourages us and strengthens us each and every day so verse 4, turn, O Yahweh, deliver my life. And he has, right? God saved David. God has saved you. God has saved your children. And that's such a wonderful good news thing to hear. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. So the plea for salvation, save me. And again, we know that that is true in Christ, that by, by trust in Jesus, by faith, we receive that, that most gracious gift of all. Now these words, for the sake of, can connect you to the divine service. As you receive the absolution, your pastor, after the confession of sins, will say something along these lines. Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you, and for his sake forgives you of all your sins. And then he continues with the actual words of the absolution, absolving you as a called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, forgive you of all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, again, those words, for the sake of. Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. If God withheld that forgiveness from you, Christ's sacrifice would be in vain. So that for the sake of, it is, it is good for Christ. It makes what Christ has done, it makes all of his efforts worth something when that forgiveness is applied. No forgiveness, there's no point in what Christ did. But there is forgiveness because of what Christ did. And so for the sake of Christ, your sins are forgiven. That is the gospel. Um, as, as cleanly, as, as compactly, maybe, as you can put it. Verse 5. Oh, sorry. Uh, the sake of your steadfast love. And that is his steadfast love as he, he shows his faithfulness to us, even though we weren't faithful to him. It's that same word we talked about yesterday in Psalm 5, verse 7. Hesed in Hebrew, it shows up 127 times in the Psalms, in their hymns. I haven't checked to see what other words might show up more often, but that's, that's almost every hymn is including this phrase. 
in it at least once. So that's something to bear in mind. It's for his faithfulness that he cares for us. Which is good because I'm not faithful. I'm supposed to be, but I still sin. But on account of the Lord's faithfulness, he continues to provide for me. Verse 5 is one you can actually look at twofold. As it references death, Scripture talks about two kinds of death. There is the, there's the first death, which is the, what we think of when we think of death. Uh, you know, the body fails, whether by tragic accident or by illness or by simply reaching that point of old age where it can't continue on any longer. The body fails, we die. Oftentimes the New Testament will refer to that as sleep. And the second death then, uh, which is mentioned specifically, I think four times, if I recall correctly, in the New Testament, that is a reference to what we consider condemnation and the judgment of going to hell. That the body and the soul together perish forever. I think there's value in reading verse 5 in both of those. So in death, there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Sheol is the, the Hebrew word for, uh, translates several ways, death, hell, even simply the ground. So we have that English phrase, six feet under, referring to where you're buried. Uh, and Sheol can be a phrase like that for them. Going down to Sheol is going down to the grave, being buried. So on the simple first death level, you know, as we, as the body is in the tomb or in the grave in Sheol, the body does not remember. The body does not sing praise. The second death level, though, of the actual judgment of hell, it's an interesting level to consider verse 5 with. There is no remembrance of you. As evil is given over to evil and an existence outside of God forevermore and that suffering, that absence of all things good because God is all things good. No remembrance of him. There's no worship of him. There's no praise to his name. Just an interesting, uh, again, twofold way to look at verse 5. Verse 6 and 7, David admits the depth of his sorrow. And how much he's crying. This could be, especially for older kids, a moment for a really deep family conversation. Uh, around, you know, you read, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. Well, you know, son, have you ever been there? Daughter, is this, have you, have you been in this place? And you just put that before them and maybe you share something from your life because we've all been here our sin breaks us down the sins of the people around us break us down and and we come to this point of deep grief and sorrow and we don't know the context of david's grief here we don't know at what point of his life he wrote this particular psalm there is the connection to the foe in verse 7. He was a warrior king, though. He fought a lot. So that doesn't necessarily necessarily figure things out for us in the text. As we then look 
to the last paragraph, verses 8 through 10, David speaks confidently that God has heard him. And that God has, has in a sense, even answered his prayer. And you look at the confidence of verse 9. Yahweh has heard my plea. Yahweh accepts my prayers. So, verse 8 and 10 are true. Depart from me, evil workers. All my enemies shall be ashamed. All of that hinges on God's hearing of David's prayer. David assumes confidently that Yahweh hears him, that Yahweh forgives him, and that Yahweh restores him. You know, there's so much New Testament language we could use with that, right? I mean, as we talk about the, the body being broken down, we can talk about the forgiveness that we receive. We can talk about the, the resurrection of the body to new life with the, the weeping. You got the beautiful connection to Revelation chapter 21, how God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. God does hear our prayers. This is the question you can turn to your children here. Can we be as confident as David that God has heard us? And the answer to that is yes. The Lord hears the prayers of his children. Uh, several different parables that Jesus tells throughout the Gospels that focus on the idea of prayer. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and you know that prayer. Your children know that prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It keeps going. The Lord's Prayer is Matthew 6. What Jesus gives to us to teach us how to pray. He invites us to pray. He teaches us to call him Father so that we can see that connection. I pray that you have a good earthly relationship, fathers, with your children because that helps strengthen how they see their Heavenly Father. He's a better father than I could ever be. And, and certainly thank God for that. But at the same time, I hope one day as my daughters are growing up, that when they put that really together in their minds and they start to think about how God is their heavenly father, they will see a, a picture of someone who cares for them, who provides for them, who protects them, who, who is always going to love them, no matter their sin. And he can do that so much better than I can, but if they can see me do it, then they've got a better picture to even start with of the Lord doing that for them. So dads, love your kids, care for them, provide for them, shelter, protect them. Shelter has a bad connotation in our culture today, but protect them, nurture them. We can be so confident and there are plenty of New Testament verses about the Lord hearing our prayers. Uh, so you can look for some of those in your study together this, this day. The Lord be with you.